Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're joined by Liana and Liana is the head of Yahoo Finance UK and we're going to talk about obviously the media, how that has changed over time, the business news, the broadcasting and of course diversity and about the upcoming event which is going to be Fintech Talents North America. I'm going to moderate there as well and Liana is one of the keynote speakers there. Liana, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. Interesting time still, right? You're you're on, but great that we can connect remotely. So let's just jump right into it. And please tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get to what you do today? I'm always interested in what's uh, people's motivations about what they do and also sometimes envious of what they do. So I'd like to know how, how they got there. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So I had always actually, when I was even from a very young age, wanted to be a journalist. And I think with a lot of financial journalists, you actually come into it a different way. So I had actually always wanted to be a war correspondent. And I had actually got my parents to put me into an army school. So then even though academically, I could do English, history, another language, all the usual things where you become a journalist, it was that I would be prepped by going to an armed forces school, which I really love, by the way. And then I actually specialized in ethnic nationalist conflict and genocide for my master's. And then just tried to find my foot foot in the door for anything journalism wise. And that really ended up being finance. Now, over the years, I'd been a financial and business journalist, worked at a lot of different places. And then I actually broadened out a lot and actually did a lot more in politics, as well as finance, as well as business, culture, style, tech, all of it. And that's where it really brought me to where I am today. Although I am head of Yahoo Finance UK, I had always had a very strong grounding in content and editorial. What I do now essentially is heading up a brand where not only growing an editorial team and looking after all editorial operations, actually working across strategy, product, as well as the content, PR, liaising with policy, engineering, all of it. And that kind of more horizontal role means that I can not just connect the dots when it comes to obviously things like fintech, but also in a practical sense as well, if that makes sense. All right, brilliant. So you mentioned that already, you're the head of Yahoo Finance UK. So what does your role entail? And uh What does Yahoo Finance in the UK do today? Absolutely. So for Yahoo Finance UK, really jumping in was about two and a half, three years ago, is to really 
build up the brand in the UK. Yahoo is a big global brand. I'm not going to do the yodel, but Yahoo has a very long history. It's very big in the States and in APAC and a lot of other places. But in terms of Yahoo Finance as a brand in the UK, it was really building on the foundations of what we have and build it into a new, a renewed force of nature through editorial operations, our brand, and what we cover and where. And so that was my kind of mission operative when I joined. And what's been great over the two and a half, three years is that through not just building up editorial operations, but really connecting dots when it comes to strategy with product, with policy, with PR, with marketing, all of it was to evolve us as a brand in the UK market, but also really on the global stage as well as an extra place. So really my um, role, not just covering fintech, but we are a fintech as well in a way, especially because we have a very strong utility part of our company, which obviously um, helps with people investing. And as well as being coming from a history of being a fully tech company. It's really interesting time to be there. And obviously, that's what I'm looking after right now. And the world of media has changed so much over the last few years or decades. And you worked at Yahoo and CNBC and Business Insider. So from your perspective, you know, what has changed? And where do you think we are headed? Whether that's digital versus print and diversity and inclusion, whether that's in terms of content or broadcasters and the people who work there. What have you noticed over the years? Yeah, there's a lots of things to break down here. So first of all, in terms of format-wise, it's without a doubt, it's not just business media, but all kinds of media is progressively more online. It's more digital. And I think it's naturally there was a bit of inertia when that was happening, especially from very established old school brands that are desperate to hang on to a print copy. And obviously there are there's definitely room for print in many different ways. But, it, but it's becoming more understanding that does print add value to the audience that you're serving? And so, of course, there's a lot, lots of business media that have really lent in and embraced a lot more over the years, having a digital, digital only brand or heavily indexed on digital. And the thing is, the reason why that's been happening as well, and especially over the last year during the pandemic, is that's how more and more people are consuming content, consuming journalism, consuming anything these days. It's when it comes to, we call them mobile phones, but actually the majority of things that we use our phones for isn't actually speaking on the phone, is actually to read things. It's to engage in things. And so that's where it really changed. When it comes to the types of content, it really depends. I do think in general, business media has got a lot more diverse and inclusive in terms of the kinds of things that they're covering. And that's everything from understanding and meaningfully covering things from diversity and inclusion matters in business, in finance, but also things like climate change and how that impacts business, as well as other CSR-related opportunities as well. So I do think there has been a really big sea change. Some are a bit slower than others, but I do think that in general, the ones that are more digital are a lot more progressive and working a lot more faster in terms of really evolving business media. 
Right. That makes me think about the TV and video, right? You hinted the problem is in engagement, but also people are busier. They don't want to uh, sit and uh, watch the, the programs whenever the program director decided to to watch it, right? Or more broadly in the US, I like Seinfeld. There was one episode about TV guide. Somebody would actually get the magazine and underline the programs they wanted to watch. That's over for a very long time. So on the other hand, if video on demand is the answer, there are also many outlets who want it to be just that. And at least on the continent, it hasn't really worked out for them. Why do you think that may be? First of all, I don't think TV is complete. There is absolutely room for it. And not everyone is always going to be online. Obviously, with generations, more and more are going to be online. But I think there's still room for TV. Now, it's not really about whether it's TV on online, but it's more about the giving the power to the watcher, the consumer, whatever word you want to use, the user, is giving the power. So for example, when you look at TV, there's lots of different devices where you can record it for later and still be able to browse and then record and watch on playback and things like right, that. Right. That obviously keeps TV relevant. So it's the same with video um, online. Now, the great thing is that more and more people are doing video on demand, and it's absolutely, you, it doesn't matter whether you're a very traditional news site or whether you're a Netflix or um, a Spotify on Apple TV, things like that. Everything to do with it is to do with giving the power for people to make a choice and for people to really be able to hone in on the kind of things that they want to watch, they want to consume. Now, that's great, but it's just like with digital journalism. It can feel like the space is very crowded. So how do you stand out? So the thing is, it's not just the matter of the kind of content or journalism or anything out there. It's, again, that discoverability as well. So it's not just a content question. It's also a product question. And, again, you can have the most – it's even like in the movies, right? You can have the most amazing movie in the world and have the best actors in it, and you can have the most prestigious directors. But if no one knows where to watch it or no one knows that it even exists – then how will it be watched and therefore fulfill its mission on having as many eyeballs on it as possible? So I really do think that it's a, it's, it's a complex a complex question that demands a complex answer to it. But it, that's why it's some people have been doing a lot better than others. But I do think there's room for both on demand on TV as well as on demand, obviously online. Then personally, you as one of the people who are the creators, right? Or you have been a creator. What do you prefer doing? Live programming or something recorded up front and then it goes out later? How does that make you feel yourself? I like both, to be honest. I mean, it really depends on what the type of thing is. So for example, I've done a lot of live programming and I really love it when it's at a very fast paced kind of discussion. So for example, if it's about something that's happening in the news or something breaking, of course, you want to be able to live react, talk about it, get to the heart of it. So that's where like live programs are really important. And that's it's super exciting as someone being on it whether you're asking the questions or being asked the questions, that is why live programming exists. And that's why it's incredibly important, especially when it comes to the market. So obviously with um, Verizon Media, we do 
a huge amount. We do about eight hours of live programming via Yahoo Finance. And we look at markets and business news and business people globally. That's super, super exciting. But at the same time, at Verizon Media on Yahoo Finance, we also do series of that are pre-recorded and recorded. And the reason why that's an additional part is because what I love doing with those, as well as obviously putting it out there, is that let's say you have an incredible business executive that you really want to pick your brains with them on. That warrants sitting down and having a bit more of a slower but impactful conversation where you can really dig deep into things. And so that's why having it recorded is really important from that point of view. Even though you can do that on live programming in a really great way, live programming, naturally, you need to keep it to five, 10 minutes. Whereas when you can pre-record something, you can really get to the meat of the discussion. And I'm assuming just like how we are on this podcast, be able to have just a bit more of a longer conversation and uh, yeah, find a different way to approach a subject rather than it being fast, fast, fast. All right, understood. That makes sense. Over, you know, your career in the media or business media, what was the most memorable what was the most memorable interview that you ever did? So to be honest, the most memorable interview that I've done wasn't actually just a pure, like kind of straight business finance one. It was actually I went to when I was covering a lot well, I was heading up an entire newsroom somewhere else. And so I was across business, finance, politics, affairs, things like that. And I actually went to Serbia and I went to the Serbian president's house for an interview over dinner with some other journalists. And that was incredibly memorable because not only did we cover business and finance and corruption and how the economy is going to be turned around, things like that, there was a huge amount of social issues. And we're doing this interview in kind of a very non-stale environment because it was at his presidential house and obviously there was a few other journalists there. I think the BBC was there as well as the FT. And it was incredibly memorable because he had his chief of staff there and everyone as well. And then to end the interview afterwards, we were all made to do karaoke with him, which was really weird and awkward, but at the same time just gave the best story as a journalist as an editor I think that I've ever had wow all right I've been to Serbia for work I spent uh, nearly two months there but no one asked me to do a karaoke but I guess you need to go all the way to the president to do that but yeah. great stuff but oh, it's not always uh, fun when you're at work and I understand from one of your interviews you did that your boss once told you to curb your enthusiasm because you're a very enthusiastic person so that's obviously a reference to Larry David's show as well. So how did you deal with that? Did you curb your enthusiasm or change jobs or what have you done? I think with that is that I've always been a firm believer in, and especially I think it's got a lot better now There's in terms of the industry, but it's still absolutely not there. But with the more of the sense of diversity, inclusion and belonging, is that you should always be able to bring your authentic self to work. And by doing that, it's not only an honest representation of you, but you're able to fully, you know, lean in and thrive into the areas where your energy demands and not trying to be anyone else. And I am 
I'm also a firm believer that you should also love what you do. Like your career shouldn't just be a job. You should really love what you're doing because that's where you're going to make the most impact. And yeah, I am a very enthusiastic and passionate person when it comes to my, my roles that I've had. So, of course, it's always difficult when someone tries to literally curb your enthusiasm like that TV show. But I think what would be an interesting thought to invite for anyone listening is where that kind of feedback usually um, lands on is women, and especially women of colour in any industry, and being told to dull yourself to let other people shine. And I don't believe in that, and it's hard. But at the same time, the way I dealt with it was obviously trying to understand and take feedback. But at the same time, don't edit yourself just to make someone else feel better. You should lean in and actually still be enthusiastic because that's the only thing that you've got if you're passionate about your job and you're enthusiastic about what you do you're going to be the most productive and make the most impact so I would say that if there's any especially women listening to this podcast they're probably nodding furiously at me talking about this but this is the kind of thing that does happen a lot in the industry especially for women and absolutely lean into it don't dull yourself. It sounds like from a different era because I cannot even imagine in a modern company to uh, actually tell employees to be less enthusiastic. Do you want them to just to come in, do nine to five, check out, take orders and that's that? Or do you want them to, to be creative and the best they can be? Absolutely. All right. Let's change tack a little bit. Of course, you mentioned at the beginning the word fintech, right? And that Yahoo, is, Yahoo Finance is also a fintech company. And when I talk to some people, some of them have been in the business for longer than 10 years, and uh, they're saying, we were the fintech company before this word was ever invented. We are the original gangsters here. Mm. We are the fintech company before anybody called us this way. So they changed the website when it became popular, before they were a technology provider to financial services or what have you. Now they are fintech. When you first heard the word fintech, let's remember that. And then if you fast forward to today, how do you think the fintech scene has changed in the UK or the world in the last few years? It's really interesting you bring that up because I've been thinking about it and I can't remember really the first time when I heard fintech because it. I think even the term has evolved so much because everyone is considered a tech company or fintech company now these days because it's to do with technology and everything's getting more digital, it's more globalized, it's all networked. And again, over the pandemic, businesses that had never even really put much thought into um, being digital are now all moving in that direction. And you've got right. companies that, yeah, very old financial companies that are now all called fintechs because they've embedded technology into all their financial services. What I really think was, is that even thinking about nearly 20 years ago, when you thought of fintech, you think obviously financial technology, you think of all the things like algo trading, or the more dark pool trading, all the like, kind of serviceable parts to it. Whereas now fintech, what's so exciting is that it's just become there's no such thing anymore, as financial services, or technology companies really everything is fintech and that's why it's been really exciting seeing it evolve because it's not a 
sidebar sector it's everything sector it absolutely impacts every facet of everyone's life even if they don't know about it and with that understanding which is great it just means that more and more not only players coming to the market but it's just it's going to get more and more homogenized in terms of standardization and also at the same time being able to yeah really weave into society more and exactly as you said you can also say that it has become mainstream right so you also have lots of events on around dedicated to fintech so in this month we've got fintech talents north america coming up and you're going to speak there so can you already tell us what it's going to be about not entirely the whole thing obviously but just a Hence, so actually people log in and, and uh, listen to, to your presentation. Yeah, so where I think FinTech Talents North America, a lot of um, the key subjects will be about is obviously we're in this you know sweet spot when it comes to FinTech. And we've had, obviously, it's been a horrendous year in terms of the global pandemic. But when you remove um, a lot of the way you see challenges, there's been huge opportunities for the industry and companies to really... I suppose it it forced forced a catalyst into pushing all institutions to think more greatly about their digitization and where they fit in that fintech ecosystem. So really, what North um, fin, um, fintech talents North America I I feel is going to really double down on is where have those plans over the last year? What has that manifested into for the big beer moth kind of companies and banks and financial services? that may have previously put together a 10 or 15 year plan of how they're going to do it. It's been forced to do it over the course of two years. What are the next steps, who they partner with. And then at the same time, the kind of macro look on, we've talked about before about fintechs e- eating the bank's lunches and things like that. And it was very much a kind of mm. sparring attitude, a friendly sparring attitude about fintechs versus the incumbent institutions. But now, because of where we're at in this landscape, it seems to have fostered a lot more meaningful, greater partnerships. And so what will that mean for the industry? So anyone who's listening to this, definitely, if this is before the the conference starts, you should really tune into all of them or watch them on demand later. Right. Now, obviously, global pandemic meant a lot of things for different people. And I don't know whether you had more time or less time to read, for example. So I just wanted to know if you have any favorite business book. Maybe it's not something that you came across recently, but something that influenced you over time that we can potentially share with the listeners. And it's worthwhile to take a pause and and read this. Yeah, full transparency. I've done pretty much like in terms of books, nothing over last year I don't know where everyone's been getting this extra time like my time has just been (laughs) shrinking so much but I do have a favorite business book that I love and it sounds incredibly nerdy but I do read it periodically because I just find it really exciting and it connects Mm -hmm. everything and it's called The Box by Mark Levinson and it's all about how the box transformed global trade and it's it's such a good read because it just really shows the obviously it's all about globalization, but it really also is inspiring how like the humble box and being in cardboard boxes, things like that can transform an entire world. 
And I think that you, know, you can draw inspiration on that from, especially in fintech, where it may seem really crowded and, oh, how do you reinvent the wheel? But actually, it's, there's so much like white space to keep creating and finding something that will really change business, change an industry, change society. And uh, that book is really great for highlighting that. All right, great. So the original anecdote is then about cardboard boxes then. All right, okay. That's uh, actually quite relevant for the pandemic because the e-commerce went up, right, and online shopping in many countries. And so I live in Zurich and the city of Zurich uh, since January increased the frequency of recycling of cardboard. <laughs> so they must have seen it that people didn't want to pile up the cardboard boxes for four weeks in their cellars. Yeah. And now they come every two weeks. So it's not like in the UK where they come when the normal uh, garbage comes uh, to, to pick up the cardboard as well. Here it's only once in a while. But that online shopping has increased here by 60%. And that comes with the boxes. So amazing stuff. Uh, and all it's all recyclable, obviously. Yeah. So what's in store for the what's in store for you for the rest of the year, whether that's in terms of your role at Yahoo Finance or personally? Yeah, I think with a lot of whether it's myself or everyone personally, or whether it's work or whether it's your business, is that 2020 was really a year for not just survival, just, yeah, I suppose 2020 year survival. Now in 2021, I think for everyone, it's the year to instead of 2020 year to survive, 2021 being the year to thrive. And so for everyone that's come out the end of 2020, the next year is really going to be leaning in and doubling down on making sure for Yahoo Finance UK, but Yahoo Finance in general, what we do at Verizon Media is continually looking at evolution on what people are consuming, how they consume it, where they consume it, why they do it, and be able to really broaden out on those areas or subjects. And that's definitely what we're doing doing here. Obviously, cryptocurrency is a big one. That's had a huge revival, especially over the last few months. So that's something right. that we're definitely looking into and then of, you know, which we considered we consistently cover. But also at the same time, yeah, just building the brand further into the market. For me personally, just still keep doing what I love and working with Verizon Media and Yeah Finance UK and making sure that uh, we connect the dots, not just in terms of content, but also um, across all our multiple other brands um, under Verizon Media and including looking at incorporating and amplifying things like 5G and AR and VR into our content um, offerings uh, later down the line. Oh, wow. All right. So where can interested parties reach you and find out more about your activities, apart from obviously checking your website and uh, following the news from Yahoo Finance? Sure. So, yeah, it's uh, uk.finance.yahoo.com. And obviously, we said apart from the website, but you can find us on LinkedIn, you can find us on Twitter. At the same time, if you did want to get in contact with me or follow me on Twitter, I'm just, it's just my name, at Liana Brinded. My email address is liana at yahoofinance.com. Get in touch if you'd like to chat. And yeah, just keeping checking out our website and download our Yahoo Finance app. Great. Thank you very much and good luck to Yahoo Finance. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. 
You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.